0: All right, well, welcome. Uh, For those of you who come in, my name is James Nelson. Uh, My wife Kira and I have been here for uh, over six years now, um, so it's a pleasure to be with you today. Today, we're discussing evangelism as a church. If you haven't got a handout, they're on the music stand over there. Um, There's a couple fill in the blanks on the back to make sure you pay attention. (laughs) Um, I like those to keep myself engaged. But this class is the evangelism class. We've been covering different aspects of evangelism, which all have a lot of crossover. but we've talked so far about the God who saves, uh, what our message is, the gospel, and the importance of prayer in evangelism. And then last week, um, Josh talked about both proclaiming and portraying the gospel. And today we're looking at evangelism as a church, um, which involves both of those things, uh, proclaiming and portraying the gospel. So diving into section one here on your handout, we'll talk first about the church gathering. Um, So we want to talk about what we do as we gather. As we gather as a church on Sunday morning um, and throughout the week, that makes visible the invisible reality that God is calling to himself and saving sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation into one family of God. Uh, So uh, I think it was Mike. Could you go ahead and read Matthew 5, 13 through 16? You are insulted. No longer good for anything to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, the city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thanks, yeah. So this is a familiar passage uh, to a lot of us. This is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking to his disciples and telling them what it means to follow him. The word you was used a lot there. That's that's the plural, um, you all version of that. But he's talking to his disciples as a group. And he's saying that you, my followers, are meant to be the salt of the earth and the light to the world, um, to show the world who Jesus is. So thinking specifically about how we do that on Sunday mornings when we gather, Let's think about the things that we do together um, when we gather as an entire church and how those things by their nature are evangelistic. So they do a lot of things, but one thing um, that what we do as a church together, um, one aspect of it is evangelistic. Another way you could put that is gospel-centered or gospel-proclaiming and gospel-portraying. So question for you all, I would love uh, lots of participation. What are the things, that we do when we gather together as a church. Yes? I'd say the first thing is just go, you Have the attitude to get up and make the Yeah, so we actually come together as believers. Um, yeah, so what, what are things that we do when we're here? Yep. Yeah. We sing, what, what, what do we sing? Yeah, we sing praises to the Lord, right? We sing according to what God has revealed in scripture. Our church proclaims gospel truth through song every week. So that's exactly right. What else do we do? We pray. We pray. That's right. We pray, again, according to what God has revealed in scripture. What else do we do? We hear the word preached. Yeah, we hear the word preached. When we do it through expositional preaching, right, we go through the Bible exposing the author's intent The truth and the main point of each passage in the book, which, as Garrett and our other pastors do a good job, all point to Jesus, right? The gospel is clear throughout all of scripture, and our church proclaims that gospel every week, no matter what book we're going through. Sorry? Yeah, we read the Bible, right? We have two, at least, Bible readings um, in addition to... The text we're going through. Everything, if you think about it, everything we do, is centered around God's word, including actually reading it. Um, we're going to hear God's word read and preached and respond to it every week. Anything else? We're serving one another. Yeah, yeah, we're serving one another in, in lots of ways, right? All the deacon teams and other teams that are serving each other, which is part of how we're supposed to respond to the gospel. What's well, something that we don't do every Sunday, but we do regularly? as a church yep baptism, baptism. yep uh baptism if you think about it baptism is a sign of the gospel it's a sign of new life every christian is baptized and believers profess faith in god and here what what, what does the person do before they're baptized by the elder when they come down into the waters what do they do before their baptism yep yeah, they give their testimony. They, they talk about how God saved them from a life of sin into new life with God. Um, and the sign itself is a symbol of uniting ourselves in Christ's death and resurrection. So it's portraying the gospel every time that we do it. It's, a, it's one of the ways that we see gospel realities. Yep. Yeah, so the Lord's Supper is another way that we do that. That's the other ordinance that Christ gave the church. For us to see gospel realities, symbols of those gospel realities in front of us, right? It's a perpetual reminder. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says that we, when we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so if you think about just those two aspects, right, that's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, rose again, and he's coming back. So you can hear how that's evangelistic every time that an elder gets up and prepares um, the table. That's evangelistic. We see his body broken in the bread and blood poured out for us in the juice. He came to forgive sins, and he's going to come again to judge the world. So we're communicating about what Jesus has done and he's doing. One other thing I'll mention is we also do church discipline. Um, That's another thing uh, in the Bible for churches to do. And that reflects the gospel because it reflects a hatred of sin and loving the good that God loves by even if you think about church discipline it is necessary for, for membership itself we have to define who is in the body um, the nature of membership in the church and the gospel makes God's work visible um, through the gospel so we've already talked about it a little bit but what are ways in which what we just talked about um, all these different aspects of the gathering what are ways in which those things are evangelistic thinking specifically about evangelism how are those things evangelistic? Yep. Yeah, so through the prayer itself, we can pray for evangelism opportunities. Yep, that's right. But what are, what are, what are some ways, if you maybe are a non-Christian sitting in on church, what are some ways in which those things that we just talked about would be evangelistic? If we're doing them the way God wants us to. maybe even a little bit more basic. We were talking about this earlier, but like the gospel is proclaimed every week in our church um, and should be, right? And so if you come to our church, you should hear the gospel every Sunday, um, not not just on the Sundays that we do communion or not just on the Sundays that baptism happens, but every Sunday we're proclaiming the gospel, right? Yep. Yeah, seeing somebody, whether it's a parent or somebody else who's yeah, actually worshiping the Lord in humility and yeah, has, has clearly been changed by the work of the gospel is powerful. Um, so when we worship the way God calls us to, our worship gathering is inherently evangelistic. We speak the gospel in our gathering um, and we portray the gospel. This is one of the many reasons why it, it matters what we do as a church when we gather together. Um, when non-believers attend, they should hear the gospel and see the gospel and the ordinances and see our gospel culture. Um, there was a quote from someone, and I, I, uh, I lost who it's from, but I'm going to trust that it was a good pastor. But it said, the, the local church is the best method of evangelism. We should be so in awe of and worship Jesus that when we gather, we show Christ and the gospel to others. Um, So I think when we're thinking about evangelism as a church, one one of the first things to think about is just our church gathering and how we should be reflecting the gospel um, to others. And we'll we'll get to some more practical applications on the backside here. But the other aspect of the church um, that we want to talk about is the church's unity and love um, and how those things, like the church gathering, um, are evangelistic that Christians' love for each other itself testifies about God's um, gospel. So whoever had John 13, 34 to 35, go ahead and read that. No worries. Just to set the stage, this is the upper room discourse where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his 12, before he's betrayed and eventually uh, goes to the cross. commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So how, how will all people know that Jesus' disciples are his disciples, according to Jesus? Yeah, by our love, specifically for who in this passage? For one another, right? Loving one another is supposed to be a mark, a defining feature of Jesus' people. Love other followers of Jesus the way Jesus has loved us. So love itself is a blessing and has so many benefits for us and for the other person. And um, We could talk about those things, but it does something else, right? Jesus is, is highlighting another aspect of what it does here and it's showing other people that we are Jesus' disciples. It's proof to others of who these Christians are. They have, they love, the love they have together is a unique kind of love, a commitment to care for one another, to meet each other's needs, to come alongside each other as a family, not to walk away when things are difficult. Uh, if you missed it, I encourage you uh, to listen to Sam Albury's um, talks that he gave here at the church a few weeks ago. They're on the DRBC audio podcast, but he, a lot of those talks were about how, as a church, should we be loving each other um, as a community? What, what is this defining love that isn't like the world's love, and how should we be doing that for each other? Jesus here is claiming that when the world sees our love, they'll see that Jesus has said true things about himself and his people. And if you think about it, we hear a lot in the news about when Christians do not love each other, um, when they do the opposite of this, when they fail, and how that turns people off from the gospel. And for me, I I think that can sometimes feel discouraging. um, But I want you to think about the other side of that coin for a minute, just how beautiful and encouraging it can be for us to participate in real, genuine love of each other and how that will turn people on to the gospel, um, and how that love should be a, a defining feature of the church. Um, so th- drilling down into what this love looks like and how it, it brings people to the gospel, um, let's go ahead and read Acts 2:41 through 47. Stephen have them? A- so those who received his word were baptized. and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. and they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and fellowship. <clears throat> to the bring of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together, and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all Lord, and to day by day, those who are Thank you. Yes, there's a lot we can say about this passage. If you were here, I think it was about two years ago when we were going through this passage in Acts, the church actually spent like, was it eight weeks just on these verses, kind of going through the different aspects of it? So, obviously, a lot that we can say um, about this. But a couple of things. Well, I guess just a question. What are these Christians doing? Um, so what what are these Christians doing for each other? How are they loving each other? Anybody pick up any of the things that they're... Any of the ways that they're loving each other in that? For each other needs. Yeah, they're providing for each other's needs. They're using what God has given them to care for each other. Um, and, you know, so this is not... Uh, ben Robin taught this class a couple years ago when he was here, and I think the way he put it was, this is not the Bernie Sanders passage. This is not saying that there should be a socialism. But what this is saying is that Christians should willingly, not compelled by anyone else, but willingly share what they have with others because of what Jesus has done for us. So it's, it's an act of worship, an expression of faith, when we love each other in this way. We share, share everything we have. Um, yeah, so that's one way. The other things that they're doing in that passage, they're breaking bread together, both through communion and in each other's homes, right? They're, they're living life together serving each other. So either Stephen or someone else, do you remember what the first and last verse of that passage said? What was the result of, of their love for each other? So verse 41 and verse 47 repeat the same refrain. Does anybody have that? Yeah, it says the Lord was adding to their number. It's at, it's in, it kind of brackets this passage. And the way that the Lord was adding to their number primarily in this passage was through the whole church community devoted to learning, loving, sharing, and praying together. Those are the things that they're doing that's attractive to the world and is causing their number to grow. So they're hearing the gospel. They're gathering together on Sundays. They're hearing the gospel. And these other people are also seeing gospel culture lived out in their lives. And it causes others to be a want, want to be a part of that by God's grace. Um, why, so, you know, why do Christians love in this way? Why, why, should Christians, why do Christians love each other? I'm thinking of 1 John four nineteen. I don't know if anybody knows that one. Why do, why do Christians love... Thank you, Laura. Yes, because Jesus loved us. He loved us infinitely more than even this radical-sounding passage um, portrays of these Christians loving each other. And so we respond the way Jesus loved us by loving each other in that way. Um, and this love, it's intended to be distinct, right? Our very relationships with each other are evangelistic in some sense because of how distinct it is. Um, it, this is part of uh, Josh last week talked about proclaiming and portraying the gospel, how they're both essential, but this is part of what portraying the gospel actually looks like. Again, I encourage you to listen to that lesson. It's from last week on the DRBC audio if you, if you weren't here. Um, but he kind of helpfully laid out uh, at least five different ways that we can portray the gospel. But this Acts 2 passage, I think, is another helpful one. So we talked about Christian's love uh, really briefly here before we get to applications. Let's also talk about Christ- the church's unity. Um, so who had John seventeen twenty through 21? Is that you? Yeah. Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may that you have sent me. Thank you. Yeah. So Jesus is praying here for everybody who will believe in him, and he's praying that they'll have unity with each other, just as uh, we have unity with God. And what's what's the fruit of that unity at the end of that passage there? The fruit of the unity that it says is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So again, this is Jesus in his own words saying that unity within the church, one of the fruits of that, one of the reasons for his prayer for us to have unity is so that others, the world, can believe in Jesus. The work of Christ is so wonderful that God loves Jesus' followers as much as he loves Jesus. That's one of the, one of the unity um, implications here if you read the broader passages, which is just crazy if you think about it, that um, God loves us the way he loves Jesus because Jesus has imputed his righteousness to us. Um, but his love should also cause us to have unity with each other because that's true of all of us, right? That's true of all of us believers. There's something about our unity and love that testifies to the truth that Christ has come into the world. In his wisdom... Our love and unity is a city on the hill. It gives light to the world. It testifies to something unique. It tells the world that what Jesus said is true. Jesus is the Messiah. He came down from heaven to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died for us in our sins. And he rose from the dead to bring us new life together as a church. So with that kind of background, the next two sections on the back of your handout there are just gonna be some practical applications about the above truths. Um, and I should make clear here that this class has been taught twice before, once by Ben Robin, once by Chris Dish, who came up with uh, uh, most of these really great ideas. So I'm just passing them on to you um, as a messenger. Um, but there are so many other things that we could say, um, so many other practical applications of that. And I think, honestly, just life lived out together as a church is, is one of the biggest. Um, Applications, but we're going to talk a little bit about doing evangelism together, just four ideas and thoughts, and then uh, the benefits of of evangelism together again, four thoughts there. Um, And then hopefully we'll have some time for prayer at the end. But one application of everything that we've just said is we should not do evangelism just in isolation, but also as we're doing life together as a church. Unbelieving friends, family, and coworkers can, and they need to, in some sense, see us do life together and see gospel truths lived out. So the first uh, application here, first blank, invite non-ch- non-Christians to church. Invite non-Christians to church. So everything we just said about the church gathering, about how it's evangelistic, how it's gospel-centered, um, we should invite non-Christians to see that if they're willing. And, you know, the church isn't evangelistic in the sense that everything we do is primarily aimed at non-Christians that may be there. It's not a call to be seeker-friendly or any of these other terms in that sense. But, as we talked about, everything we do is evangelistic because it's centered around the gospel. The gospel is needed by believers and unbelievers alike. Right? Garrett often re- repeats the phrase, I think it's from Martin Luther, about like, why do you preach the gospel to us every week? Because you forget it every week. Um, We, everyone needs the gospel. Um, Worshiping God, as we've talked about, in the way that he's prescribed, it's a great way for unbelieving friends to see um, what the gospel is all about. The corporate witness of the church will make our witness either easier or harder, depending on what we do as a church. Again, which is why it's important what we do. So inviting to church, it's not the only thing that we should do in evangelism, and not every non-christian will come with you, um, you know, they may say no, but it can certainly be a help in showing what it means to be a Christian um, and to know God. Um, so some, some suggestions here, uh, if you are bringing somebody to church uh, who is a non-believer, uh, you know, reach out to others, reach out to people in your fellowship group or friends, tell them you're bringing that person so that they can, you know, be sure to be intentional and go up and have intentional conversations afterwards. Um, or just generally be on the lookout for people you don't know. I, it's you know the church has grown so much that often people you don't know maybe they've been here for a year, um, but it's it's good to still make those connections and love each other. But they could also be somebody who's come because you know they've they've heard about the gospel and want to know more. So being intentional is important. Uh, so the second suggestion here: invite non-Christians into your life. Uh, you could just write into your life, or in. And invite Christian friends to join you in conversations. Um, but yeah, invite non-Christian friends into your life together. So one, one aspect of this um, is hospitality, right? Have dinner at your house and invite coworkers or neighbors and invite other people from your fellowship group to join you um, so they can see how we love each other. Invite Christian friends um, to join you as you invite non-Christians into your life. Um, One thing that Ben Robbins said, which I thought was really challenging, is just, is allowing non-Christians to see your struggles in your life and to see the real you. Um, Even allowing them to see your struggle with sin and how you're seeking to earnestly follow God um, in the midst of temptations and trials. Uh, He put it this way, which I think is great. The difference between us and non-Christians is not that we don't sin and they do. It's that Jesus deals with our sin. It's that we are good repenters, or should be by God's grace. We turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. And even allowing uh, non-Christians to see that happening in our lives um, can be evangelistic. Uh, The third blank here, as possible, connect with Christians who live close to you, who live near you. Um, This can mean that if you are moving because your rent is up, that you seek out other Christians in this church and seek to live near them. Or if you're pretty fixed, it could just mean uh, meeting Christians that live near you and connecting with them. Um, but a lot of the things we've been talking about will be a lot easier if you live very close to to other Christians. Being closer together makes it easier to spend time together, makes it easier to invite others into that fellowship and help them get to know other Christians. Um, it's one reason uh, the fellowship groups are, are intended to be mostly um, Uh, geography focus so that people can live near each other and invite um, others into that community. Um, So one example of this, uh, so my lovely wife Kira started a neighborhood Bible study um, with Another solid Christian mom who literally lives right behind us, and there's a fence in between our yards, and our kids will just like run in between the, the fence sometimes. It's a little concerning sometimes, like, where are the kids? I don't know, hopefully over there. Um, but it's been really nice to be able to meet um, this other Christian family. But they started this Bible study together, so, so Kira knows there's at least one other solid Christian mom who's going to be there, and they can kind of bounce off of each other and help each other, as opposed to just by yourself, kind of grit of your teeth can be a lot more difficult. Um, so it's it's easier when there's another faithful believer to commit to something with you as well. So yeah, have your mind's eye open. What are who are Christians that live near me? Can I meet other people and, and see who are the Christians near me? Um, but yeah, doing life together that way. And then the last one here um, you see is yeah pray and talk together about evangelism. Again, this is part of the reason why we're doing this class. Why we do testimonies at the beginning. Why we do why we pray for each other. Um, this is something that we can and should be doing in our discipleship relationships as well. Um, it, you know, it feels awkward. Evangelism often feels awkward and hard, at least for me. I don't know about any of you. And we haven't been having conversations about the gospel with other believers or we haven't been having conversations about evangelism with other believers. As my wife would say, embrace the awkwardness and dive in. Um, talk about talk about how we can be intentional, pray together that God would help us see opportunities around us, help us to have boldness. Um, If if I'm not hearing others talking about what they're doing, I can forget to make this a priority. And I think my tendency is to become apathetic. Um, So this is definitely one of those areas where spurring each other on and encouraging one another is important, just like a lot of other areas in the Christian life. And then, uh, yeah, just... Well, let's pause there. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts before we turn to the last section? Yeah. I'd like to offer the little town that I, I live in now, the, uh, they do a pizza and a prayer. So they have men from the, uh, the church come in and cook the pizzas, and then they set up a booth. And they, generally, they do about 300 pizzas. And we have people out there feeding. Their pizzas are free. Uh, all you have to do is come in. They offer if you want to pray with it. Uh, it has just amazed me at how effective it really is. What, remind me of your name? It's Gary, Gary. I'm uh, Jason's father. Okay. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, we did a fall festival here, which I think was kind of similar last year. But yeah, I think there are lots of ways. Well, kind of going off of that one encouragement, maybe be creative around Halloween. It's this week. It's, on, it's in a couple days, one day. I don't know what the day is. But, <laughs> um, <coughs> uh, but yeah, maybe invite somebody over to your house um, to either go trick-or-treating with you or to be at your house when people come. Um, but yeah, there are lots of ways in the community where we can think creatively and intentionally about how can we get Christians together and be able to interact with people um, together. Yeah. Any other thoughts or questions before we move yeah, to the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, food is food is good. Yeah, we talked about hospitality. Invite somebody over and tell them you're going to cook for them. That's, I mean, that's a pretty good incentive. But, I mean, there are lots of different ways to be hospitable too, right? If you don't have a space where you think you can invite somebody over for like a sit-down dinner, maybe getting together with another Christian or, or do, doing something creative like that. Um, well, why don't we uh, go ahead and talk about the benefits of evangelism together? Um, yeah, and then we'll have a little bit of time for uh, for prayer. So the first, so these are, we're talking about the byproducts and blessings of participating in evangelism together. Again, spe- specifically thinking about evangelism as a church. So the first thing is just growing in boldness together. Um, so together is the blank there, but when we have shared experiences um that encourages us in the way that we talk about the gospel. When we see somebody else doing it, it lessens fear and anxiety about sharing the gospel. Um, and this kind of leads into the second point, which is we learn from one another. Um, learn from one another. As we hear one another, uh, we grow in our understanding of how to navigate conversations. And I know I, I struggle with this a lot, but you know how to transition from talking about sports or what we did over the weekend or something else to talking about the gospel. Um, hearing somebody else either share their stories or being with them can, can help give us ideas about how to do that. It um, can also help us to learn how the gospel applies to certain things that we haven't thought about, like suffering. If we see somebody else talking with somebody who's suffering and bringing the gospel into it. It can also just help us with patience or our tone or understanding other people or having empathy. Um, yeah, there's ways to learn from one another. So I guess a question from you, does anybody have an example of how they've learned um, from watching someone else engage in evangelism or even or just talking with another believer about it? Does anybody have an example of that? That's that's a great idea. So you and another Christian friend meeting with a non-Christian friend. Um, Well, uh, number three here is uh, grow in unity and depth with each other. So if you notice, all the blanks there are either together, one another, each other. And I'm kind of just emphasizing the togetherness here. But grow in unity and depth with each other. As we have these shared meaningful experiences, we grow in our friendships and relationships together. Our relationships think about it, are ultimately all about God's glory. Um, He wants us to experience joy as we work for him together, doing all sorts of good works. Jesus unifies his church, and this is one of the ways he does it, and we grow in unity together. And then finally, that's related, uh, joy of being involved in what God is doing. So we've talked about this a lot, but God doesn't need us. Um, he can do what he wants, but he uses us to bring himself glory and to bring us joy. Um, so, could we read 1 Corinthians 3 4 through 8? Thank you. Yeah, so in this passage, the church is arguing about who they follow, which which super pastor is your super pastor. Um, And Paul's point, the reason why that's foolish and worldly, is that we're all just servants. God gives all of the growth. Um, So success in evangelism is not defined in making converts um, or who you follow, but it's being faithful And knowing that God's spirit convicts of sin and leads to gospel growth. So as in this passage, we should scatter seed and we should water it. Um, I think Chris Dish helpfully pointed out, but usually a lot of people are involved in the work that God is doing in someone's life. So even saying that, you know, so-and-so led somebody to Christ, you know, sometimes maybe it will be more one-on-one, but often even with Garrett's story, I think it was the 12th or 13th person that had shared the gospel with him. Um, so that's a lot of seed scattering and a lot of watering of that seed. And so we should think about it in terms of coming alongside the whole church. So maybe even pe- members of the church that you don't, you'll never meet, um, but we're all participating in the work together. Um, and this truth, I think it should do two things. It should cast off pressure on the one hand, like I have to save this person. Um, so it should cast off pressure on the one hand, but it should also cast off pride, um, thinking that we um, have done anything. In evangelism, like everything else, we should give God the glory, um, which ultimately will lead to, to deeper joy for us. Um, so before we, we close, are there any uh, final thoughts or encouragements um, or questions? The last couple minutes here. So, earlier on, when we were talking about how the church, when we gather, so it's evangelistic. It just made me think of um, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Mm. Um, and it's in the context of uh, the gift of prophecy, but as God's words proclaimed, and as the truths are shared, and the Holy Spirit's working, I think verse 25 is so, so true. We pray for this, speaking of an unbeliever in our midst. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God declare that God is really among you. Mm. I think just that's, that's the ultimate that people see while God is really here in this gathering um, through the people. Yeah, Yeah, and for some people, that will not be the response. Right? Um, and for some people, by God's grace, that will be the response. And so, yeah, we should pray for that gospel fruit in their lives. Any other just thoughts or encouragements? well i'm gonna go ahead and pray for us and then we can uh we can break on time here so dear heavenly father we yeah we just thank you that you truly did send your son into this world to save us from our sins to teach us about you uh, to demonstrate his divinity um, to willingly die on the cross for our sins um Yeah, he knew that we were sinners, that we would reject him, that we would kill him. Um, And yet, yeah, you sent him anyways to save the very people rebelling against you. Uh, We thank you that you raised him up in resurrection power um, that you offer to us through your grace. I pray that you would help us to love one another well as people who have been redeemed by the same work of Jesus and the same grace pray that you would help us to be united, um, to put away petty differences, and to love each other well, to care for one another's needs. As we're doing that, um, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and boldness um, to see opportunities where we can invite non-Christians in. I um, pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to involve other Christians as we get to know non-Christians and to share your gospel truth with them. We do pray for our church that it would continue and increase all the more in seeking to uh, center everything around the gospel and to to preach gospel truth, to worship you rightly in spirit and in truth, to pray to you. Um, yeah, help us all to do that um, together as we scatter throughout the week as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you all.